Hi, my name is Alex Williams, founder of the New Stack, and you're listening to the New Stack Analyst Podcast, a show about application, development, and management at scale. Thanks for joining us. KubeCon, cloud native con conferences gather adopters and technologists to further the education and advancement of cloud native computing. The vendor-neutral events feature domain experts and key maintainers behind popular projects like Kubernetes, Prometheus, Envoy, CoreDNS, ContainerD, and more. Hey, everyone. Another episode of the New Stack Analyst. For the past several weeks, we've been talking to people who are really those end users who've had the experiences with Kubernetes. And joining us today for a conversation about their experience is... Jim Howitt, who is Head of Infrastructure and Operations at Spotify. Jim, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thanks very much. It's a pleasure to be here. And my co-host, who I could not do this show without, Ken Owens of MasterCard and Cheryl Hong of the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. Hello to you both. Hey, Alex. Awesome to be on, as always. And Jim and Ken, great to be here with both of you. Good day, Alex, and thanks for thanks for having me again. It's always fun to to hang out with you and show, and really appreciate your time today, Jim. Thank you. Okay, now most of the world knows Spotify as the music service, but many may not know that Spotify is a veteran user of the Kubernetes platform, and they've been using it for a few years. And Jim was saying that he went to his first event, I think, for the first KubeCon event three years ago or so. So my initial question is, what's the role Kubernetes plays today compared to when you first adopted it? So great, and it's our use of Kubernetes is expanding uh, on a monthly basis, both in terms of adoption and, and how we use it. When we originally looked at Kubernetes and we were in an interesting situation because we had already had an in-house orchestration solution we had built and. Uh, anecdotally launched the very same week in open source that Kubernetes was launched. Uh, clearly Kubernetes took on and the community, uh, the power of the community won there. Um, so we did a lot of work to essentially make the transition to Kubernetes incredibly easy for our developers and to make it so that we could have hundreds of teams work across shared clusters securely and safely together. Uh, so it gave us a little bit of a slower start, but about a year and a half ago, we started to move over to Kubernetes in earnest. And since then, we've seen two big kind of large-scale roles. The first role is reducing, we call reducing toil, um, if you think of the SRE term. is we want to take away the need for engineers to have to manage infrastructure, have to worry about scaling up, scaling down, and just simply build and deploy features. The second, and it was one of the big reasons that uh, we've been uh, working diligently with the CNCF is to make it easy to adopt a lot of infrastructure. See, uh, basically, Kubernetes has become kind of the lingua franca of cloud-native technology. Getting on that opens the door for us to get into lots of other technologies. Um, in the last year, as we've been moving services onto Kubernetes, we started with stateless micro microservices. Uh, we now have moved uh, data pipelines and uh, machine learning. Uh, processing on that. So we are a heavily user of Kubeflow as well. Uh, but we've also found it easy uh, and great for building ephemeral environments. So everything from you get, you come to Spotify, you start your training, 
you spin up your initial experiments on uh, ephemeral environment. It's a lot uh, easier for us to manage, less work for you. And now our testing and integration environments, we're starting to move so we can scale up, scale down as we need. We expect that we'll continue to find more use cases as more and more of our teams get onto Kubernetes. So Jim, it sounds like Spotify has been pretty successful with Kubernetes overall. So what are the challenges that you're seeing today as you're using Kubernetes and the other projects you talked about? Yeah, so one of our big challenges is what we refer to as long tail adoption. Uh, we have several hundred uh, autonomous engineering teams. Uh, we, our goal is to basically enable them to move as quickly as possible. Um, so one is they're working on basically building and iterating features and experiments uh, that people use on Spotify every day. And we want them to keep working on that. So one of our challenges is how do we migrate them when you have 299 million monthly active users uh, without interrupting the music stream uh, to things like Kubernetes without slowing them down. Um, a lot of our work that our core infrastructure and developer experience teams did was essentially abstracting away a lot of the complexity of the infrastructure so that essentially they could uh, change configurations um, to move over to Kubernetes relatively easily um, from that case abstracting away. So we've created basically something called golden paths that allow engineers to now build natively on Kubernetes easily and automatically get wired in basically things like tracing, monitoring, shared secrets, all the other good stuff that you want to have with that. Um, and then the second is using uh, basically tooling to make it very easy. We have an extensible developer portal that essentially nudges people and tells people like, this would be a good time for your service to move to Kubernetes. Here are some tips to move over um, with that process. Uh, but really the big, the big challenge for us is how do we make infrastructure kind of automatical? How do we let people move over easily once we get them onto Kubernetes? Um, then we can start to basically do automatic pull requests underneath and start to move them onto other technologies. And uh, one of the uh, basically big challenge of adoption at scale. Yeah, Jim, when you're thinking about, you know, those challenges and, and you know, kind of to, to Cheryl's question of the open source projects that are in use at Spotify, um, how do you guys sort of, um, you know, in a, you mentioned with the, just the amount of subscriptions and some of the complexities there that you were just talking through, I think a lot of the end users are facing the same sort of, of issues, right, in, in different ways that we support our technologies. Um, how do you guys at Spotify kind of provide, I don't know if governance is the right word, but how do you sort of ensure that you're you're doing the most good and you're not, you know, bringing in something that can, you know, break everything? Like what sort of a process or methodology have you guys adopted in terms of an open source model and then bringing things into the mainstream of, of Spotify's, you know, production network? Yep, and that it's um, there's a bit of a conundrum there. So if you look in the last six or seven years, the number of cloud native technologies you have is just kind of almost growing geometrically. I see the numbers each year at CNCF, and I'm amazed. And if we basically said everybody pick anything you wanted, uh, we would have a very fragmented ecosystem. It'd be very hard to manage Spotify. It'd be very hard to move things around. So we have basically infrastructure teams at Spotify. Um, they work in a, a platform team and it's, it's their role to basically go through, look at these technologies, kick the tires, we dark load, 
Uh, we run traffic on them. We do real-time failovers with them. Uh, we experiment with how do we fail across regions. We look at ways of detecting uh, how would you do a canary deployment to detect when something goes bad. Uh, basically, we try to break them um, ourselves in production-style environments with limited blast radiuses. So essentially, you don't ever have an, a person who's using Spotify see that. Uh, once in the process of that, we will find, you know, bugs, issues, uh, just additional tooling we have to do. We build around that. Once we have that in place, we go to like an internal alpha at Spotify. And more advanced uh, teams that are running either um, applicable services at high scale um, that have an immediate need will work with our infrastructure teams in a paired programming kind of model. We call that. Uh, building infrastructure together, and they will start to use those services. They'll find some additional things. We'll roll back and forth, um, essentially insulating our customers entirely from anything that happens. As we learn those, and we know now we've got something that works, we move into an internal beta. Uh, we start to roll that out, and then we have our own migration roadmaps with migration. So it's a, a difficult uh, process, and essentially once we know something is safe and to use at scale, very easy to do. We put that on the roadmap for our teams and we work. Uh, so all of our basically teams that build features and products for Spotify uh, can start to roll that out. Um, and from that point, you'll see a normal penetration roadmap. Like for example, in Kubernetes today, we're adding about 100 microservices a month and people in adoption. So we're up to about 1,600. Uh, production services on Kubernetes. I you know others have more, but we've done this at a, a, a several. Some of these services are pretty high scale, and we run across uh, 14 uh, multi-tenant production clusters in, in three regions. So we even practice things like how do you canary deploy into multiple clusters in multiple regions so that you can ensure that your services are always available for customers. That's awesome, Jim. Thanks. That's similar to what we've we've done at Mastercard as well, with having a platform team. You know, kind of the different phases that validate and test, like you were saying, before you roll it out to other teams that can then you know pair program with with the platform team. So that's excellent to hear that you know that's sort of becoming a model that we're hearing about in the industry. So so thanks for your your input there. And that's one of the big benefits of being in the end uh, user community. Is, is we constantly meet with other teams and it's uh, share ideas with each other. So we've learned a tremendous amount and uh, we're always excited to be able to kind of share uh, the things that we've discovered as well. I think of what you were saying about this golden path and, and your focus on roadmaps. And I think of a golden path almost as like the yellow brick road and you don't necessarily want to go off the road because there's all kinds of dangers out there. T tell me about the concept of the golden path and, and, and why you use that terminology and what does it mean for your teams? Yeah, and it's a great analogy if you think of the Wizard of Oz, you don't wanna go into the forest where uh, you can get into trouble. Um, we, we have the, you know, basically the vision at Spotify that teams are autonomous, teams can move quickly, uh, we don't believe in coming in and having these top-down mandates because that kind of crushes innovation. So the golden path idea is essentially we want to give you a service that if you use this, you get a lot of great things out of the box automatically. And if you choose to use it, you can go faster. And as a platform team, um, we think of this like 
Uh, we have golden paths for microservices, data pipelines, machine learning, websites, and more um, as products. We want to make them things that people choose to use because they're better uh, from that perspective. Uh, our very One of our very first golden paths was for microservices on Docker containers. Uh, and over uh, time, we've expanded the golden paths to now have things like websites and the like. And we built, we're building more and more into our golden paths. So shared secrets management, uh, tracing, monitoring, and the like uh, from that point of view. Uh, one of the areas we're shifting to next is we're realizing as engineers are building more and more microservices, we're learning on average, a given team has between 10 and 11 microservices per average developer that, that they're managing. And if you're building something, you're actually want to building an ecosystem of services. So something we're now going to is the concept of blueprints. And for example, if you wanted to build a feature that you could upload content that has text in it and maybe some little images, you want to build a search on those, get those images and text back, click on one and display them. That's probably going to have half a dozen microservices, uh, some type of an elastic search engine, a NoSQL database, some CDN uh, or caching equivalent. Uh, you're going to expose some APIs to the perimeter. Some you're not, you're going to keep secrets. You're going to have shared secret management. You're going to want to have tracing, logging. So the idea we're moving to is we're building these blueprints. So if you want to build a service like that, you check that out. You get a bunch of golden paths that are put together. And as an engineer, now you can go forward and configure uh, what kind of volumes you're having, uh, what kind of uh, basically exposure, what kind of uh, domain names and the like you want to use, and then we'll start to you know, allocate space and Kubernetes and deployment for that. That's kind of one of the shifts that we're going to right Yeah, that's super interesting to hear your, your approach to it. Um, I would love to hear, Jim, is there anything that you kind of put on the golden path or, or blessed path and then change your mind about it later? Like, what would make you change your mind? Uh, so basically, we have made uh, the golden path is not a straight road. Um, it has probably gone on, on curves. Um, we pay attention to what technologies are out there. We have uh, basically used the tech radar, uh, like at ThoughtWorks, and we have one internally. So we always have technologies that we're looking at, technologies we encourage adoption. Uh, so as we find a better solution, um, and it makes sense, we will add that onto the golden path. So when I first came to Spotify, our golden paths were a bit narrow. Um, they were mostly Java, microservices, and the like. We now have uh, we call silver paths for Python and things for machine learning, because uh, Python is the language there. Uh, things like uh, tracing, we had our own propri you know, proprietary solutions for monitoring. We've gotten in basically first an open census and now open telemetry. So expanding the golden path to hardwire in telemetry from that case. We had our own basically perimeter and gateway. And we've been now heavily adopting Envoy. And we were very proud of a few months ago to have Lyft ask us to be a co-maintainer uh, for Envoy, which was really fun, especially since some of the engineers were super fans of basically that project and got to meet the team in Barcelona uh, about a year ago. Um, that's a case where we started to now rotate, like swapping out our own technology for things there. So the, the golden path kind of continuously evolves. And the governing we have to do is not evolve it too quickly to introduce change. 
uh, but have it, you know, where you have things that work well and are proven to give you benefit, but not just change for the sake of change. Mm, no, that makes sense. And I love to hear as well that you've contributed to, you've become a co-maintainer for the Envoy project, because I think it's super important that the real world problems that you're facing need to go back into the project and go upstream to fix them. So that's awesome. And that was an interesting, we started just seeing issues and then we started syndication fixing some issues and building some trust and it was an interesting process. And uh, uh, we look forward to the day when we have projects as well that people are doing the same with us. Super cool, thank you. Jim, how I wish the um, the yellow path was a straight a straight path and not curvy as well. I, I can definitely understand that pain. <laughs> um, what other you kind of mentioned like open telemetry and um, you know Envoy? Are there other um, open source technologies that you're running um, at scale at Spotify and 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 you know kind of also interested in sort of what are the biggest services you have running on Kubernetes at Spotify? Okay. Uh, so it basically, Kubernetes has been, as I mentioned, one of our cores, and we're at about 1,600-plus microservices there in, in pipelines. Um, Envoy is uh, basically one that we are adopting at scale, um, and we're up to several million TPS at this point in our Envoy world. Uh, gRPC is a technology that uh, we have been uh, diligently uh, adopting and migrating. Um, about a year ago, one of our um, uh, engineering managers was presenting at JFocus and talking about our journey, because uh, gRPC is a tougher one, uh, as you're basically figuring out your ideal model and moving services over. Uh, we're happy to say that now we've doubled. 20% of our service requests now use gRPC from uh, the time we gave that presentation a year ago. Um, we probably, if you look across Spotify, you'll see we are you know, kicking the tires on many things um, from that perspective. But uh, I would say Envoy and uh, gRPC and Kubernetes have been our big three. Um, Open Telemetry, which is CNCF Sandbox, is one that we adopted, again, very early when it was in the open census stage uh, because we wanted to basically, by adopting a CNCF standard, we would future-proof ourselves as that space evolves. And today, about 20% um, of our total services and 50% of our tier one services, which are the, the services that you use um, if you're listening to Spotify, and if they drop, you'll know, because you won't be able to listen to music, um, use open telemetry, and we're at the scale of billions of traces uh, from that perspective. Uh, you asked about um, basically the largest services on spot uh, on Kubernetes. Uh, because we uh, were an early adopter of microservices and an early adopter of Docker, it's pretty hard to push to a, uh, look at a button and say, if you click this button on the Spotify app, it's running on Kubernetes. Um, however, if you click on a button, it's probably calling a dozen plus microservices, of which many microservices um, are running on Kubernetes. So we basically, um, our largest service on Kubernetes um, peaks out at about 2.3 million uh, requests per second. And then we have lots of long tail services that are well under uh, one request per second. Awesome, that's, that's a really good, um, really good um, you know, reference for, for Kubernetes for sure. 
2.3 million p you know per second very good very good um performance and maybe i can extend that jim that how do you tie those metrics to spotify's overall business metrics like what's the impact of kubernetes there and uh we're a very data driven and metrics driven company so we we found in Kubernetes there's a, basically two big company metrics um, that it's touching. Uh, so one, you know, Kubernetes, the initial promise was, you know, basically managing your scaling. So auto scaling up and auto scaling down. Um, we found uh, we've kind of proven out in practice. And as a general rule of thumb, we tell people if you're running a service on Kubernetes, um, it runs at about half the cost. Um, in the cloud than if you're running on even our, our prior home-built auto-scaling service and even cheap, you know, less expensive than uh, if you didn't have any auto-scaling at all. Uh, so you can imagine, you know, that's something that uh, basically is uh, beneficial for our company um, from that point of view. And that even says the 100,000 cores that we have would be a much bigger number if we didn't have the, the, the wonderful scaling of Kubernetes. Um, on the toil side, because uh, we do a lot of tracking of pull requests per day per developer, per domain, so backend, web, machine learning, data engineering. And we have found a pretty interesting metric, basically squads, what we call our teams that are autonomous. And the squads that run on Kubernetes do pretty precise number here, but 6.26 production deployments per week. The squads that are not yet on Kubernetes are running 1.89. So if you do the math, that's a 231% increase in the rate at which we're deploying code, which means we can iterate faster, we can experiment faster. So that is an incredibly clear measure of basically productivity on the toil side. And this doesn't even cover the things we can do invisibly. So if we're gonna be doing a, an operating system upgrade, um, our core infrastructure team can do that underneath the covers. Um, and even recently, we found some new virtual machine types that would let us get better performance, uh, same or better performance at much less cost. And we swapped out about 75,000 cores without anyone noticing anything on an engineering team. Our core infrastructure team just managed that. So those are some uh, very compelling uh, value metrics we have from Kubernetes. So. So I love to hear that you're very data-driven and metrics-driven and you measure the number of PRs per week because it's really awesome to see those, see it becoming concrete when we say you can deploy faster and more frequently. Um, I'm also interested, like, what has, how has it affected your developer team's happiness? Do they feel, do they enjoy using it? Uh, so it's basically... One of the anecdotes we have is our one of our most popular classes is we have an internal tech learning uh, function and infrastructure as well. And Kubernetes, even though we keep extracting as way as much as possible, Kubernetes is one of our more popular classes. Um, so people want to learn more. We had last uh, year ago this summer, we had heard a team was you know too busy to work on Kubernetes and we found out on a hack day and a hack week they had moved over and realize a whole bunch of benefits from that case. So this goes to the point is if something is a good technology, if people enjoy using it, they'll self-select. It's the same reason that you know, Docker exploded, GitHub exploded in a good way. Uh, so we, we see that we, 
continue to work to make it as easy as possible so that you're just basically setting configurations and focusing on the features you want to do. Um, but it also is, it's nice to recruit because uh, you can say you can come to Spotify, you can work on a very modern cloud native tech uh, infrastructure. We use OpenTelemetry, we're, we're adopting gRPC at scale. We're a big Kubernetes user. We've given keynotes on you know, Kubernetes and failures that you know, we're completely insulated from touching anybody uh, because we immediately fell over and recovered from things. So that's also a, a very good sign of happy developers. Yeah, absolutely. Can you speak to just to, you know, how you look at, at the CNCF projects and once again, you know, brought into the community and how that influences some of the decisions that you and the platform team make on what to evaluate. And if you have sort of brought things to the CNCF in terms of, you know, this is a project that we really like to use. Have, have you had any, you know, interactions or discussions with the CNCF on bringing interesting projects that you guys have, have stumbled upon in your, in your platform team? We're seeing, you know, CNCF is it's the same reason that we moved to Kubernetes. We knew if we got on to using the Kubernetes API, we could then use a bunch of other technologies or we could build our own uh, developer tooling to just call that API and know that we don't have to keep using individual providers' APIs or individual uh, libraries APIs, but we pick up a lot of things automatically. As we see technologies getting um, into sandbox, we take a look at them. We run them through our own sandbox and our, our tech radar. If something works well for us and we know it's a CNCF project, uh, we feel good that it's got a, a good, healthy future, uh, especially when projects go to incubation status, because then we see things taking off. Part of the reason that uh, you know, investing and helping Envoy issues is, you know, by making the community, you know, contributing to the community, we know we'll build some sustainability that we can use ourselves with regards to that. So it's kind of a, a, a network of trust. Um, in terms of bringing projects, uh, it's a little bit of a shameless plug, but we did our first sandbox submission just before the summer hit for something called Backstage. We can find it at Backstage.io, but it's it is our developer portal that we use to wrap how we invoke our infrastructure services. So whether you are, because our goal is to enable engineers to be able to build data pipelines, backend services, websites very quickly. So this is uh, basically our extensible framework for being able to invoke infrastructure services from CNCF, uh, connect things basically like PagerDuty and the like to your services and setting up your PagerDuty settings. So when you build a service out, you can configure all of your teams. Part of what we did before we open sourced uh, Backstage is we talked to many members of the end user community and got feedback and made changes. So that's a, something I would encourage is interacting with the community lets you vet if the thing you think is a big is a good solution is actually when other people agree. You can get some feedback on how to make something better, and we're very happy now that many members of the community are now kicking the tires with us, submitting some pull requests and the like. Yeah, it's, it's excellent. Thanks, Jim. You know, my question I think relates to the infrastructure that you're using and how you think about your compute and network, and I mean your network and storage in particular. One of the findings that we've done in our research is 
you know, how dominant, you know, we'll see Google, Amazon, and Microsoft, but there's also this whole other kind of number of storage providers out there who have been able to establish themselves. Rook, for instance, uh, OpenEBS. And I'm curious on how your posture has, you know, has changed in relation to com- compute to the storage and networking uh, requirement. Yeah, so uh, we we are 100% in public cloud. Uh, so we three years ago we were 100% in data center. So it's uh, it's been an interesting transition from that case on storage and databases. We are a big fan of using as, as much as possible managed services uh, because that space is evolving very quickly. And in the spirit of not wanting to have engineers have to stop and do a database patch for an upgrade, having managed service providers uh, basically handle that for us. We do still, we are also a heavy user of Elasticsearch and Cassandra and things like Postgres, which are open source projects in their own regard for things. And part of our example of our blueprint approach is we want to make it so that if you're instantiating a feature, like a, a service that's used by end customers, is that we will declaratively configure not only your microservice, your resource requests in Kubernetes, but your requests for instantiating a NoSQL database, a search cluster, a CDN cache, and the like. I guess then my last question is, you mentioned Envoy. What are you using for your service mesh? Uh, So we have internal technology that we have built. We have Envoy, and uh, we're also uh, basically uh, kicking the tires and heavily working with uh, Traffic Director from Google Cloud. And we've been in uh, several uh, meetings at at Next in which I've sat with people from Google Cloud. And... uh, it was the time we could all fly and Matt Klein was sitting in the room from Envoy and we were talking about the, the heavy penetration of Envoy into Google services. And that's uh, for us being something that we see as a double win. Uh, we can use managed services, we can use a CNCF technology, you know, it's something around an open technology that lots of people can use. Yeah, I was seeing Kelsey comment about that the other day about how Envoy is just that great building block. And we like how Envoy you can extend as needed um, and watching the extension of Envoy has been something when we created our own backstage, we looked at similars. How do you let the ecosystem extend what you want to build? Uh, so as people have additional problems, they bring answers that we can all use. Great. Ken, why don't you ask a question, then we'll finish it out with Cheryl. All right. Sounds great. Jim, I, my last question for you has to do with sort of what's next at Spotify, what are sort of the, the technologies that you're looking at that are in that sort of, you know, maybe alpha or pre-alpha phase right now? Yes, so basically a lot of what we're doing next is much more on refinement and speed. So taking uh, the technologies we're using and adding uh, basically tooling to make them easier and faster to use for engineers. We are, you know, small ends kicking the tires on things, but essentially making it so that Every all of our infrastructure at Spotify is declarative, declarative that can be declared not just in the unit of a microservice, but as I mentioned, a unit is like almost these API gateways of, of services that combine microservices, databases, and the like from that perspective. And from that's kind of the big area that making our developer tooling, giving people more data, basically giving uh, the ability to set up your teams, your on-call, 
the metrics you get from your projects more easily and making that something so more and more people can be data-driven. And that's the, the work that we're open sourcing. Another area that we're looking at is enabling how do you optimize your cloud? So it's uh, basically what metrics can we give engineers to see which of their services are growing efficiently versus less efficiently? And how can they take advantage of technologies like Kubernetes uh, to kind of shift that curve to make uh, basically to be uh, just to optimize what resources you're using or to go back and optimize your code? Uh, so you're using less network resources. Oh, that, that's really awesome. So lastly, Jim, I want to ask you about your community involvement and Spotify being part of the CNCF and user community. So why is it important for you to be part of this community and what's been your highlight? So I mean, why it's important for us, um, this was one of the, uh, the first arguments I, I used when we uh, signed the first check for joining uh, the Linux Foundation and the CNCF three years ago is that you know the infrastructure space and the cloud native space is evolving at a massive pace. At that time, it was about 30,000 contributors. And I said, I can't go hire 30,000 infrastructure engineers. I can't find them and it's just not a good use of money. If I join the community, I suddenly get the power of 30 and then the next year I made the argument was 60 and I now look on the website and it's like 93,000. So I see uh, from that case, so being able to, and that's part of our strategy is that we want to build on the work of others and having those 93,000 contributors makes our team vastly bigger, ideas from all over. Uh, we wanna, by being an active member of the community, we wanna build with others. So like, you know, being able to be a co-maintainer of Envoy. Uh, we've been doing some work recently at WeWork. So we've gotten some PRs recently from companies uh, in the end user community as well. And seeing that's exciting because we can do more together. And then our aspirational goal is to create technologies where others are benefiting from us and building on top of us, which means we've got a winning solution and uh, we benefit from their work. Being part of the community has been, you know, it's not a place where you're going in and you're talking to salespeople. You're talking to counterparts that are on production calls, that are making pull requests, that are wrestling at the same how many clusters is the right number of clusters in Kubernetes uh, versus many versus few. And you see you're sharing lessons and saving yourself from making mistakes and losing lots of time. So it's a, uh, the community has been very uh, generous and welcoming, and we're happy now that you know we're sharing the developer experience with the work that James is doing. We've had uh, speakers in a lot of areas. We've had people come and speak at Spotify. Um, so it's been a, a wonderful experience. And I definitely encourage others to join as well. That's awesome. I'm really glad to hear that you've had a good experience and that you've got the aspiration to you know, have your own solution and have other people contribute to it as well. I think that's awesome. Well, I want to thank you, uh, Jim, for taking the time to talk with us today about your experiences at Spotify. And that golden path is a theme I hear here. And I think there's lots of stories that can come from that, you know, that discussion about a golden path. And I think primarily of every pair needs, every road needs maintenance at some time and it needs repairs and it needs to be uh, thought through quite a bit. And I think that's one of the things we're seeing in the Kubernetes community as the plumbing is there, but now building on top of it is one thing, but then managing it is is another challenge entirely. And we see that 
actually in several of the cloud native computing foundation projects, such as Helm, for instance, and, you know, and how Helm has developed and how now it faces challenges because the community has gotten so big. So I love to hear that you're actually contributing back to the community with your own uh, solutions because it's those end users that really make the difference who understand what's what's going on. I've seen it from others such as Box that have uh, made contributions back. And so that's encouraging to hear and speaks to the CNCF's uh, good work. So thank you very much for your time. And Cheryl and Ken, as usual, love joining you on this show and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thanks everyone. KubeCon, Cloud NativeCon conferences gather adopters and technologists to further the education and advancement of cloud native computing. The vendor neutral events feature domain experts and key maintainers behind popular projects like Kubernetes, Prometheus, Envoy, CoreDNS, ContainerD, and more. Listen to more episodes of the Newstack Analysts at the newstack.io forward slash podcasts. Please rate and review us on iTunes, like us on YouTube, and follow us on SoundCloud. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.